0: HHW presents All-Star Superman Volume 1 by the Legion of Dudes. I know very well what you represent. You represent the idiocy of today. You're part of a league of morons. Oh, oh yes. You see, you're one of the morons I've been fighting my whole life. But guess what? Today, I win. Oh.
1: Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time.
2: The
0: Legion of
2: Dude,
0: I'm starving. Yeah,
2: yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'm nowhere near that hungry. Dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the universe. It's a bird. It's a plane.
0: It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a postmodern reimagining of Silver Age iconography. Or it's just funny books. Either way, here we are. From the weird, wide world known as the Internet, Half Hour Wasted presents the Legion of Dudes in their most thrilling, death defying adventure yet All Star Superman Volume 1. I'm Jim Dietz, Yoda Jones on the Comics Forums, head chef and owner of the Gypsy Cafe in Pittsburgh, and tonight I'm aided and abetted by the assorted scallywags, scoundrels, and carpetbaggers of the assembled Legion of Dudes. Guys, please introduce yourselves.
1: This is John. This is Ken.
0: This is Russ. And tonight we're going to be uh, giving the Legion of Dudes treatment to Grant Morrison and Frank Quiley's All-Star Superman, Volume 1. Which includes uh, the floppies issues one through six. If you're playing along at home, guys, uh, what did you think of this? Just as a general overall uh, view.
2: Well, I'll, I guess I'll start being that um, I don't read much Superman at all. Um, I was pretty excited to get a chance to uh, jump into Superman, you know, from the beginning. It seemed like a good jumping on point to a story, and. Um, I liked it enough. I think it I think it started off uh, very strongly, and I know Superman fans were real happy with it in the beginning. Um, I'm not caught up to date with, you know, what are they up to now? to Volume 2, I guess? Volume
3: 2, yeah, 12, and then that's 12.
2: the end of it, right? 1 through 12, and that's it?
3: Yeah, supposedly I guess they're going to do some one-shots or something that aren't necessarily drawn by quietly, but um, are supposed to kind of either continue on the story or pick up bits and pieces of it.
0: Yeah, the end of 12 is very open for a uh, continuation of the story. Um, it's interesting to me, um, especially in light of what Morrison has been doing in Batman, here in All-Star Superman, he really takes a lot of the, the kind of, some of the goofier things from Superman's Silver Age pasts and uh, kind of puts them together into an, a new story that kind of makes sense unto itself. And uh, he kind of tried to do the same thing with Batman R.I.P., but I think he went a little bit astray with batman whereas i think he really nails it here with superman
1: yeah i was uh i, I generally don't read a lot of stuff that's considered out of continuity um i i, I like the continuity being built up as confusing as it can as it can be um but i actually picked up uh i got the num issue number one when it was on uh free comic book day i think just last year and and i read through it and at first i was like well this is really out there in terms of in, in a good way it, it was something that uh seemed worthy of Superman, like grander than the usual thugs he's he's beating up. But then when I got to the last couple of panels and when we get to the book we'll talk about it. Um, it was just a very simple where he revealed his, himself the lowest for apparently the first time in this continuity. It just was stunned so simply but I thought so well I'm like this is really cool. I want to see where it goes with. So I grabbed grabbed volume 1 when it came out in trade and and I really 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 liked it.
3: Yeah, I've, I've been pretty happy with it. I you know, I've made no no bones about not being the greatest um Morrison fan, but this is this is definitely up there with with something that I really enjoy from him. I think um, given that he was allowed to kind of pull it out of continuity and put it into its own little piece that um, he did a really good job um, telling the story and setting up the characters um, and just kind of incorporating you know a lot of the the silver Age elements back into the story and not making them you know completely ridiculous and totally off the wall so you know, for me, this and and, the, and Seven Soldiers really are are you know examples for me of Morrison where I, I'm you know I, I really enjoy what he's doing.
2: What a what a role reversal for Morrison! I mean, look at the first page of this book. He he does the origin of Superman in four panels: Doomed Planet, yeah. Desperate Scientists, Last Hope, Kindly Couple, and it's perfectly done. It's a great page, and it's totally like anti-Morrison.
0: Plus the uh, even the cover with Superman sitting on the cloud. Uh, looking down on Metropolis, it just kind of sets like the whimsical tone of, of what everything that's going on in this, uh, in this all-star miniseries. And whereas a lot of more person could be like very thought thick, you know, th- thick with thought and very dense with these really like trippy, strange ideas. This, I mean, from the very first, uh, from the very first image you see on the cover, it's totally saying this tone of, of like a lighter-hearted story, maybe you know, a story you wouldn't take as seriously, you know, if it, because it is out of continuity, I think.
1: And the other thing with, uh, unlike, say, Batman or IP, for example, where you need to have basically the entire published works of Batman in front of you to understand most of what's going on, I, I really didn't feel like this at all. Everything you need is in the book. You know, and I didn't feel like I needed to go and reference something else because it was just all self-contained. It's this this story, and as we said before, it doesn't matter what's happened before.
0: Well, like uh, John was just saying, I, I, uh, the uh, summation of Superman's origin into one page, uh, four panels by Morrison and Quietly here is really striking, and it really leads into that really beautiful double-page spread of Superman flying, I guess, under the sun yeah, uh, to go save the uh, the solar expedition sent by Dr. Quinton. Beautiful piece of artwork there. Uh, kind of wish you, Mac, were here. <laughs> Give us <laughs> an idea of what something like that would go for. I mean, I... That's a little bit out of my ken, but he really, I mean, not only does he set up the the um the story that we know about Superman, but then he shows him as this, you know, icon, I mean, what's brighter than the sun, you know, and he, <clears throat> Superman really, you know, de- defines that Apollonian uh, sensibility of, the, you know, the good hero, the you know, the bright hero, the daylight hero, just as much as Batman puts forth, you know, the Dionysian or nighttime, you know, champion. So it's fitting he's flying in front of the sun.
3: What did What did you guys think of the the art? I've, you know, the other thing that I've I've kind of been guilty in the past is not being a huge Frank Quitely fan. Um, you know, I guess you know, again going not to not to beat on it, but you know, going back to his new X Men stuff, I, it really kind of took me out of the book. Um, and I'm kind of I, I'm kind of up and down on the art in this one. Um, he, Superman kind of I don't know what it is about it the way he Quitely draws his head, but it looks kind of I don't know, it looks, it looks a little strange to me, but I like how everything is, is very subtle. It's very clean. And the one thing I noticed in the book is um, the, way it's, the way the panel layout is done, uh, pretty much the entire series is very cinematic. Everything is pretty much like three four panels to a page, very wide screen. Um, the way they do the credits even is, um, you know, at, the, at the, either the beginning or the ending of the story, has that very movie poster look to it, you know, the way they lay the credits out and everything. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. It makes it, it makes it feel that much more epic. Um, you know, which is kind of what he's, you know, telling is this 12 part epic tale of, you know, of basically the last, you know, kind of the end of Superman for, for, for the most part.
2: I could take or leave, uhm, Quietly's art, I guess, but the one thing that really struck me about the art of this book is the coloring. The, the coloring's fantastic.
3: Yeah, um, absolutely.
2: The con- the contrasting of, you know, the bright orange and yellows of the sun and then the, the blues in the panels that are up against the sun and, you know, there's that, I think it's page five where you have um, female on top and it's kind of like greens and blues and then underneath you have the four panels of Superman with the oranges and reds of the suns and everything. I just thought it was beautifully colored.
0: Yeah, the page opposite that as well uh, is a similar uh, tone. You have the the brightness of the sun as the entire background of the page, and then the panels almost falling down the right side of the page in those dark blues.
1: Just talking about the panel layout in that that page you're talking about with the uh, the sun in the background, and then you have the four panels of what's going on in the uh, in the spacecraft. Just the way they're laid out at odd angles kind of reflected to me the the anarchy that's about to happen or what's going on in there right now as this creature m- you know, morphs into what is supposed to end up being their doom.
0: Totally. Okay. Well, in uh, issue one, uh, Morrison pretty much sets up uh, the entire uh, scenario for his next um, for the miniseries. Uh, Superman uh, is called to the sun, the surface of the sun, to uh, save some scientists who were sent there by Doctor Quintum to make a map of uh, the entire solar surface. Uh, all along the way, too, we meet the Superman supporting cast, including some from the Silver Age and from the 70s, like Steve Lombard, Cat Grant, and uh, we have a very uh, classic version of uh, Jimmy Olsen with the signal watch. Uh, it turns out that something hasn't just gone awry on this uh, solar trip. Lex Luthor has turned uh, one of the scientists on board into a living bomb in order to lure Superman there to uh, save these people, and thus overload his own cells with solar energy, leading into the major plot point after the uh, the rescue, which is uh, Doctor Quintum telling Superman that while his strength and his powers may have tripled so high that they can't even measure the upper end, that he is dying. Uh, the the sun that causes causes him to have his power has pretty much overloaded his system, and the you know the candle that burns twice as fast or uh, twice as hard uh, you know burns half as long. And basically, this, um, this is what he imparts to Superman, is that he's dying. And Superman asks if uh, he not tell anyone, because he has a lot of things he has to take care of. And he wouldn't want the public knowledge to get out. And then uh, Superman turns back into Clark Kent, rushes in time to the Daily Planet to meet Lois and walk her home. And then the issue ends with Superman about to reveal to Lois that he, Clark Kent is, in actuality, Superman and Lois dropping her groceries in uh, response to that. And then so, thus ends issue one. Morrison is able to set up the villain, the motivation of the villain, especially in the great sequence where they come to arrest Lex, and he says, I looked in the mirror and I saw little crow's feet around my eyes. I'm getting older. He isn't. I thought it was about time I got serious about killing Superman. And he sets up the conflict of Superman himself, knowing that he's going to be dying, knowing that, uh, you know, all the things he'll he'll have to take care of before, you know, that goes, and what's going to happen to him after he's gone. So everything's set up in this first issue. Uh, Doctor Quintum and his uh, Operation Project, which I'm not sure what it stands for. I think it's uh We we'll talk about that later, but um, it sets up a lot of plot points for later in the uh, the miniseries. All in this first issue, and yet it didn't really feel like a setup issue because there's a lot going on
3: yeah it's funny when it you know when it started you didn't get a real like it for the first few pages even you didn't get a real feel for the fact that Morrison was kind of going for that silver age you know bringing back a lot of the silver age elements to it you know it just it kind of started off as a you know traditional superman story and it's really i guess not till the second or third issue that we really see a lot of that silver age kind of stuff coming in
0: it's weird though because it's not uh, I, I don't know if it's the art or the way it's written or the pacing, but it doesn't seem as goofy as it would if we were actually reading a Silver Age comic. Um, there, you know, there are little things that, that make it seem like it's a, it's, its own continuity unto itself. Uh, I like all the little touches. I like seeing the things that we don't see in Superman continuity anymore. You know, the gosh golly Jimmy Olsen with the, the signal watch. You know, Perry White yelling, great Caesar's ghost. Um, I, I'm looking particularly at this panel... I believe it's page eighteen, where Clark it shows multiple Clark's running through the panel, in the center right, of the page.
2: Right, cha- he's changing. He's just coming in from. He's like it shows his him tie putting on his top. tie, yeah. tripping,
0: falling down, and, and uh, there's what seven different Clark's in the one panel denoting the motion, uh, and then falling on his ass as he walks into the, um, into Perry's office.
1: I think a lot of why it doesn't feel goofy is that it might almost just might it just felt refreshing after reading all of the, uh, not negative, but darker stories that we've seen in D.C. over the last couple of years, you know, starting with Identity Crisis, working through uh, Infinite Crisis 52, Final Crisis now, just to read something as whimsical and lighthearted and as fun as this was refreshing in a Superman comic, unlike what we have had in, the, in the, the main titles.
2: And, and I, I agree with that completely, but at the same time, to keep it from being goofy, he balanced it with a serious threat. You know, this isn't Lex Luthor with a real estate scam. You know, this is Lex Luthor with a real vision of killing Superman. So while there are some, you know, lighthearted elements, there's a real threat, which I think was important, you know, for the balance.
3: Speaking of Lex, what do you you guys think of Morrison's interpretation of this version of Lex? Um, Because we see, you know, we don't get a whole lot of them in, in this issue. Um, you know, mainly I guess issue five is going to be a big, big Lex issue. But um, you know, you, 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 when when they come to take him away, there's a military guy that you know that obviously Lex has been working with since the last time he got out of jail. So it, it just seems like we're it, in a way it's kind of back to the maniacal, mad scientist, ultra super smart genius Lex of the of the you know pre-crisis Lex. Um, but it also seems like we get a bit of that business savvy you know maybe at one point i almost got the feeling that at one point this was like the post-crisis uh lax where he was you know a legitimate businessman or a legitimate you know scientist or or whatever um and then just kind of fell down his you know his kind of his uh his true nature just took over and you know he ended up going down the 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 evil genius
0: path
1: i was just saying the same thing about how it is the uh you know the mad the mad scientist uh type of persona that we haven't had in in quite a while uh i I think the the businessman uh corporate lex is important to to these days um just for no other reason how does he fund his stuff fund all his projects um but it's good to see the genius that that is lex i mean you can imagine what lex could do if he did if he did channel it towards uh good ends like a better word although he really believes he is doing good work by trying to get rid of this this alien menace
0: I think it brings back the ego too of the uh, of the post-crisis Lex, like you were saying, Russ. We have the both the mad scientist of the pre-crisis, and then the, the the ego of the post-crisis Lex, because he feels, and we see this later in this particular miniseries, that he should be the savior of humanity. You know, who is this guy with all these great powers that no one else has? Why not, you know, a human lift humanity up and be the hero? But instead, he feels like Superman has taken his spot almost. Is General Lane Lois's father
1: always always uh, Lex's partner in uh, in the military when, in these projects? Because it's also General Lane. Um, not to spoil what's going on right now, but General Lane appears in, in the current arc as well as Luthor's uh, uh, military cohort, if you will.
3: Not that I'm aware <clears throat> of.
1: This is just a, like the second time story in a, in recent times. I'm reading that it's, it's it's General Lane again. You know, working with Lex.
3: Yeah, I don't. I don't recall back from like pre-crisis days if that's if if that's something that's that was around. Um, I don't think in since the post-crisis that that's been the case. Okay. Although didn't he have? Did did anybody read like when Lex was president? Wasn't General Lane like somebody high up in either Chairman of the Joint Chiefs or head of the NSA or something like that?
1: I Don't remember that.
3: I, I don't. Know. It's been a, It's been a long time. Yeah, I know. I, it's,
1: kinda... I know it's suggested in the current arc that he had been presumed dead but clearly he's not but i don't remember when or how that happened.
3: Yeah, it's been i mean i, I was kind of in and out of superman at that time so i'm not i'm not completely sure but
2: looking at the cover of issue 2 again the coloring is awesome. You know, you have the Lois in, in in the red shades on the left and then Superman and the working in the in the room on the right and uh you know you have all those shades of blue. It's just a, a beautiful looking book and a little uh tagline across the bottom can you guess the secret of superman's forbidden room you know totally silver age you know goofball tagline that you would see on a book
0: and that ray gun she's carrying is straight out of the silver age as well a big you know yeah looks like a Mar- martian you know set up gun or
1: something yeah, something uh... marvin the martian from a looney tunes cartoon would have yeah right.
0: my U two thirty eight space modulator <laughs> And when it disintegrates, it
1: disintegrates.
0: disintegrates. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do you know? It disintegrated.
2: (laughs) When Saturday mornings mattered.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What happened with that? Anyway, different story, different podcast, right? Right. Right. (laughs) So in issue two of All-Star Superman, uh, Superman has revealed to Lois that he has indeed been Clark Kent this whole time. And Lois refuses to believe him for the first part of the issue, even though he... He you know, explains every question that she asks. He takes her into the Fortress of Solitude, shows off his um, star, his uh, key, or his new key for the Fortress of Solitude made out of neutron star matter. We see uh, some fixtures from the Silver Age, including the Superman robots, the Chronosphere used from the Legion of Superheroes, the space shuttle that he saved in the uh, in an earlier issue, the Bottle City of Kandor. Um, the giant penny, much like the one inside the Batcave, and the human chess pieces um, that were uh, used against him, also in another Silver Age story. So, as as we see in the big uh, title splash page, um, usually we get these kind of things about uh, you know Batcave, but now we get to see the inside of the of the Fortress of Solitude and we see how huge it really is. Then we get to
3: see uh, also the the biggest. The biggest thing in the room that doesn 't that if you 're not careful it's I overlooked it, but we see it later on is the is the Titanic in the background
0: right. I do like how these things um, the way that quietly draws them they, they look they don 't look out of place next to each other. you know what I mean they look like they 're all in the, in the same space even they're even though they 're very divergent uh, items so anyway, um, Superman decides to uh, make dinner for Lois. he shows her around. He shows her the baby sun eater that he's been keeping and uh, feeding the suns by using a hammer on a cosmic anvil to feed the, the baby sun eater. I thought that was a neat idea. Then he has dinner with Lois. We oh, ask kind of evasive on some of her questions. Um, it's mostly a pleasant thing. And then she starts to have doubts and suspicions, mainly because he won't let her look in uh, one certain room. Finally, after a lot of uh, strange drama, she accidentally, or she shoots <laughs> Superman accidentally out of her own paranoia and fear. And then finally, Superman reveals the surprise that he'd been working on all along, her own super suit, uh, a superwoman. And we'll see in the next issue where that leads. So uh, thoughts and comments on this issue, guys?
3: Well, this is where, you know, this issue firmly seats us in in kind of bringing those Silver Age elements in. Um, you know, by going into the fortress, I mean, right, the first thing that we see is the the whole, you know, she asked him what happened to the huge key that he used to keep outside the fortress, which was, you know, the old pre-crisis way to, you know, to enter the fortress of solitude was that key that was just ridiculously huge um, because nobody else could lift it to a key that he literally keeps under the doormat um, that's the size of a, of a regular key, but uses you know white dwarf matter, um, so nobody else can lift it. Um, and then we you know puts it on the ground. It even you know it's so heavy that it even cracks the ground where he lays it on. And then of course when we get into the fortress you know proper, like we mentioned, there's just all these you know wild and you know crazy things. It it, it it's funny because it almost had like a bat cave vibe to it. Mm-hmm. You know, especially looking at the big you know the big penny. Um, and it was interesting that the Big Penny had
0: the Joker on it. but I'm sure that's probably from, like, an Old World's Finest comic. I'm not sure what issue that's or whatever. Good. But I'd, I'd, I'd bet a dollar on that I one. I seeing
1: the, the older-style Brainiac in the chess pieces there. You see him just in front of this, the, uh, the bazaar of Superman.
2: Yeah. Did the suit itself have more significance in the Silver Age? Because, you know, as kind of a Superman um, novice, you know, the big reveal of the last page is that he made her a you know, her own suit, and I was kind of like, you know, so, you know, did it, was it, what am I getting at, um, was it more than just a the suit then, at any well, time, like,
0: Superwoman, um, was one of the, um, in the old Lois Lane comics in the, uh, Silver Age, was one of her personas that she did, uh, adopt there, when, through magical abilities or whatever, she ended up with Superman's powers, as we all know, the Superman's girlfriend, uh, Lois Lane comic was not really, uh, so, word I'm looking for uh, in any way good. plausible, yeah, or, <laughs> or good <laughs> for that matter, yeah, yeah. But uh, that's that's what um, this kind of uh, reminded me of. You know what I mean? Because it's more. I mean, the the whole all the narration is done by Lois, and uh, it's it's really her story in Superman's house rather than Superman's story. Also, something I wanted to ask you guys: Does it seem like this Superman? And after his uh, abilities have been elevated, has a little bit of the, and I hate to say it to plug our other podcast, but a little bit of the Dr. Manhattan vibe to him. Like, you know, oh, well, this is uh, Baby Sunny. You know, he just seems very nonchalant about these uh, you know, huge cosmic things that he keeps showing her.
1: I don't know about yeah. that, but to, to him it would be something nonchalant because it, it's something he, he feeds the thing every day probably. So, oh, yeah, well, of course it eats
2: suns. What else would it eat? You know, the, the pa- a couple pages before that, um, I guess it's page seven or so, um, where it starts off with Lois, like, taking her shower and changing clothes, and then at the bottom you have kind of a pulled-back camera of Lois standing next to Superman. Um, I mean, he's huge as compared to her. You know, I don't know if he's always drawn so out of proportion as compared to Lois. So, you know, you think they're trying to make him bigger and stronger at this point? Or you know, is that usually the differential between the two of them?
3: No, I, I think it's definitely accentuated here because she almost looks like a little kid, right? You know, the the way she's drawn. So yeah, I think I think I would say that that yeah, that's probably we could say that's for a fact.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the whole one of the whole points in the story too, and why she gets paranoid is he's just like, oh, you know, here's my baby son eater. I'm gonna feed his sons. Oh, here I have this. Oh, you know, here I have that, and then she. Starts to get more and more suspicious and paranoid, and then by the end of the um, the episode, zaps him with the uh, the kryptonite ray.
2: Right. I mean, even at the top of that page that I was just speaking about, you know, she the box is uh, the first text box says Lois Lane, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, and I don't know what to think about this. You know, she's like totally overwhelmed by the whole experience, which is kind of realistic, I would think. You know
0: yeah I, I really like uh, a few pages after that, and going back to what you were saying John, in the um the scene where they're having dinner together, the coloring in that every every um point of view of lois Superman is is in white, you know it, it looks very bright, almost like he's emitting his own light, like right. he's almost too bright to look at, maybe, and then all the other uh, camera angles look like they're in a regular lighting. But um, again, you know, the use of color in this, like you said, is really uh, really noticeable as far as like getting across you know, different uh, emotions and uh, themes or whatnot.
3: When it, and it's funny that Lois's comment is, is similar to Luthor's comment, in issue one? You know, where she says on the same page that John mentioned. You know, when we're married 15 years, when I'm sagging and he looks just the same, will he still meet me and say things like? And then he comes in with the you know, basically flowers. So again, she's thinking. You know, down the road. You know that she's going to grow old and look old, and he's still going to be young. And Luthor's, you know, kind of thinking the same thing: is no, you know, I'm getting old, and he's still young. So, kind of an interesting thing
0: there. Yeah, it's like uh, how can you relate to a god? One way you can relate by feeling inadequate and in that you are, you know, are or just superficial and and flowing away, or you can react like Luthor did and strike out against it, you know, because you're feeling your own mortality. It's like they're having the same feelings. Of, of mortality but acting on them in different ways. I think my favorite, my funniest, uh, by far the funniest panel is uh, when the unknown Superman with the question yeah. mark on his chest talks to Lois, please tell us it's very important for our future survival. Who was J-Lo?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I like okay. the, cape, uh, the cape with the hoodie. <laughs> and it says um, traditional Kryptonian formal wear from the fourth age. So I guess that's something that was out there. You know, in the Silver Age stuff more often, or
0: yeah, the Kryptonians tend to dress like a bunch of uh, Bob Mackie rejects back <laughs> in the day, with uh, capes and headbands and, and hoodies and whatnot.
3: What I found most interesting, you know, we get back to the whole Lois not, you know, not wanting to believe that Clark is Superman, you know, even though he flat out told her, and I think in her own mind she, you know, it answers all her questions, but she makes the comment that. You know, basically, if he if he still if he still you know, what if there's you know a piece of Clark, you know that is him. You know, I don't think I can handle it. So I think in a way we find that the reason that she won't believe that it's him is because um, you know she sees Clark is, is not somebody that you know she, that that's not the kind of persona or the kind of person that she would want to to be with. And if and if Superman truly is him, you know, then what does that say about her?
0: Well, that's like the class, one of the classic conundrums in the Silver Age comics where, you know, Lois trying to find Superman's secret identity, you know, and uh, all the outrageous different ways that Superman would go about protecting that identity, you know, having Bruce Wayne or Robin pose as Superman or, you know, making, uh, you know, his Superman robots look exactly like him and to be in one place while Clark was in another. And it's kind of cool that. While Morrison's taking all this stuff and mining the Silver Age for all these neat ideas, they took one of the core ideas of one of the Silver uh, Age Superman books, you know, of Lois trying to find, uh, you know, figure out uh, Superman's identity, and turned it 180 degrees by having him at the end of the first issue just flat out reveal it to her. Okay, so in issue three, we find out the significance of the Superwoman costume is that there is a kind of a magic potion that Superman gives to Lois that allows her to have Superman's powers for 24 hours. So she gets to feel how he feels, perceive the world how he does, and have all of his super abilities. But during those 24 hours, uh, for some reason, Samson and Atlas, who are also two Silver Age characters from the DCU, um, show up and challenge Superman for Lois' company saying that, uh, I think the quote in here is, women with brawn, brains and beauty are hard to come by in any age. And uh, Samson, it turns out, <clears throat> I'm sorry. So Samson and Alice and Superman decide to compete for Lois's favors. Superman thinks it's silly, but Lois thinks it's fun and flattering and uh, asks him to go along with it. Um, Samson makes his pitch. and It turns out that the attack on Metropolis that started the issue was caused by Samson himself. Riling up the underground um, lizard people who attacked Metropolis. Also during this issue, Samson shows Superman that he knows that he is dying, and this is very effective on Superman. As far as the I'm, um, tra- I'm sorry, I'm losing my train of thought here, real quick. But anyway, Alice and Superman, uh, Alice and Samson and Superman decide to compete for Lois's affections. Um, something Alice and, Super- and Samson have done goes awry. Lois is caught in the thrall of the Hyper Sphinx, and must answer his his riddle. Superman steps in, saves the day, once again with brains instead of brawn, answers uh, um, the question of the Hyper Sphinx, and saves Lois. Miffed, he takes Samson and Atlas to a deserted island where they can do no good, and has a little arm wrestling contest with them both, uh, which doesn't end well for Samson or Atlas. And then finally, Superman and Lois end their day by making out on the moon, flying over the ocean, and finally ending their evening uh, romantically at the top of the Daily Planet building as Lois's temporary superpowers fade away. How'd I do? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Very I, good. I feel like I feel like Murd every time I do one of these <laughs> <laughs>
2: This was just a lot of fun. I think this uh, this issue. This was like full-blown um, Silver Age fun.
0: Totally, there were there were no uh, evil, really evil, evil villains, and then the mischief. And you know what goes on is mostly just mischievous uh, on the part of Samson and Alice. is not true villainy uh, like we see with Luthor and the other issues. Right.
1: I think aside from, uh, I want to say it's the last issue with uh, Jonathan Kent. This is probably my second favorite of the whole of the whole book. Is this particular issue? say, it's, it's just a lot of fun.
0: I like the little, uh, the little touches Morrison puts in uh, of Lois experiencing the um, the powers for the first time. You know, I, I I think the line is something like, "I can hear the, I can uh, feel the trees in in Canada," or "I can smell the trees in Canada." I can I can feel the breezes. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me see if I can find that. Excuse me. So, uh, you guys live around here much? Okay. <laughs> Join the shroom cocktails major. I sure sure tip your waiter. Okay. All right, here we go. It's near the end. That's why I couldn't find it. She says about how the powers are wearing off. I can't smell the trees in Canada. I can't see all that gorgeous radio anymore. The stars have stopped singing like they used to. But I'll never have to put up with the annoying ZZZ of Jimmy's Superwatch as long as I live. And for that, I'm grateful. It's just all these little touches that um, Morrison puts in to let us realize that Superman is experiencing things on a much higher plane than just a normal person. Um, Just the the different shock of all the perceptions uh, that Lois is feeling for the first time.
1: I'm uh, I'm wondering—is is she forgetting also what happened? Is she forgetting that he, that he's Clark? Because just the way she says, uh, as she's fading away here, like you know, you, you do a really good Clark Clark Kent impression. Where where was Clark today anyway? You know, so I'm wondering—is she forgetting that he's that Clark is Superman? I don't
3: I don't think she's forgetting. She's she's made up her mind that Clark and Superman are two different people, and that he's he's just pulling her legs. You know, that, that she just never believed it. Whether whether it's because she's convinced herself, you know, that she doesn't want to, or because she truly, um, you know, she truly just doesn't believe it. Hmm. I think it's more that she doesn't want to believe it. Um, because, you know, because of that comment in the, in the previous issue that, yeah. you know, if, if there's a part of that bumbling Clark that is Superman, then, you know, uh, you know, you know, to her, that's a that's a huge turnoff.
1: off so. because yeah. I thought by I, I, I took it that by the time we got to the end of issue two, once she realized that you know he wasn't out to try to try to kill her, or whatever, when she was getting all paranoid, that she kind of accepted it for the truth at that point. Had this great day now, and now suddenly, you know, kind kind of like the the kiss in Superman two, she's forgotten that that they're the same person.
3: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I I was a little concerned about that too. Um, when you know, especially when. He kissed her on the forehead at the end of the issue but i i don't I don't think that's it I think she just she has to to convince herself that that they're two separate people
2: I like that um you know even though Superman is dying and and he's making uh he's making a point that he's losing some of his powers he still can arm wrestle both of these guys without even you know, without even putting any effort into it.
1: That's just it. I don't think he's so much losing his powers as he's just that much more powerful now that those two are nothing, he's able to break both their arms without a problem.
0: Yeah, that one panel of him looking at the camera kind of whistling as if he's not doing any work at all. That's really cool. Something else I noticed in this issue on the the, the credits page that I didn't notice before, the Daily Planet that he showed him from before. Um the Superman Dead article is written by Clark Kent.
3: Yeah.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I completely missed that the first time through.
3: Yeah, and we'll see how that comes to fruition in issue, I guess, issue eleven. Then, then we'll see. We'll see where that goes.
2: Right. And the car ad there has the same riddle that uh, he had to answer, right, to save Lois. Uh,
1: yep. Surrender. That's
3: nice and it, it's funny at the beginning of it, you know Superman wants to you know he he's always in that protect Lois mode, and so when they first you know start out on their you know adventure and they're both flying, his first instinct is you know wait here, I'll take care of this, and then you know and then I'll come back to you, and she's like, uh-uh, you know you're you're going to show me what it's like to be you for a day then we're going you know we're going full bore and she wants to to be a part of it, you know, just as much as, you know, as he does. Um, I think she she's seeing it from a perspective of she wants to have fun and doesn't realize how much work it is. And he, I think Superman just experienced it and everything else, knowing that, you know, any, any situation can be potentially dangerous even for somebody as powerful as he is.
0: Plus, Lois, for all these years, has watched Superman use his superpowers, you know what I mean, and use his super strength and punch on bad guys or whatever. It's got to be tempting to her for her to just jump in and be able to do it rather than sitting on the sidelines and watching. Plus, it kind of speaks to, like, the, I, I hate to use the word spunk, but, like, the spunkiness of the Lois, Lois Lane character, her sense of adventure, which is why she always gets into trouble.
1: Yeah, I think that's perfectly accurate. That's always been the Lois I've always known, certainly, is that she's, she's not afraid to to get herself into it you know uh that's just I mean, the sp- sp- spunky character that's exactly the way i would always describe lois
3: it's interesting when the day you know when the day is over and, and the power is kind of wearing off that she realizes you know geez i'm i feel sore i feel tired i feel you know exhausted and you know it's it's interesting that you know as the power were you know is wearing off she's starting to feel the effects of you know having a long day
0: well it's not every day you beat up a dinosaur guy and then you know, answer a hyper sphinx's question and go to an arm wrestling match between Atlas, Samson, and Superman, unless you are Superman. So that is true. Yep. Okay, issue four, gentlemen. Issue four has an awesome uh, cover right out of the Silver Age with Superman going berserk, throwing a car at Jimmy Olsen, yeah. and he's he's talking to the pan yeah you know, the panel to the camera. If I can't get these crazy future wo- weapons to work, I'm dead, and so is everyone else. Superman's Turned Evil. Dun, dun, dun. And, and we see uh, Jimmy come in and hang out with his girlfriend, Lucy Lane, who is uh, Lois Lane's uh, uh, little sister, and tells, uh, telling her uh, about his day. Evidently, for the uh, Daily Planet, his uh, shtick, his, his thing is a day in the life of where he goes and lives the life of various people in Metropolis for a day. This particular day, he's going to be taking the place of Dr. Quintum, the head of PROGCT, uh, and he he will be the project director for a day, while Dr. Quindam goes to talk to some hyper intelligent shades of light. So uh, as Jimmy is t- touring around on um, Project, he walks by an ominous "Do Not Open Till Doomsday" vault, and is led by one of the uh, the young uh, genetically grown guides of Project, and almost falls into the Underverse which is created by dense uh, foundations of reality uh, compounded by hypergravity. Uh, He almost falls in. Superman saves him. But on the return, Superman becomes infected by black kryptonite, which if that's not a Silver Age convention, I don't know what the hell is, all the different colors of kryptonite or whatnot. So Superman becomes totally evil, turns on Jimmy, goes on a destructive rampage through Metropolis. And it turns out uh, the only way Jimmy can save him or to stop Superman is to inject himself with a virus or a uh, serum that makes him doomsday for a few minutes. He takes down Superman the doomsday power and uh, becomes Jimmy again just in time before the doomsday virus overloads the system. They're able to uh, cure Superman, of course. And then uh, Jimmy comes home to Lucy. He's had uh, the project people carve I Love Lucy into the full moon, got her the tickets to the show she wants, and uh, ends with, a, uh, with the two of them together happy. The end. This, I think, is, again, just a, a good example of Morrison repurposing Silver Age conventions. I mean, I, I can't think of a more hackneyed Silver Age convention than the you know, millions of different colors and brands and types of kryptonite and what all they do to Superman. I mean, there's. I, I just think off the top of my head, red kryptonite, purple kryptonite, and I know they've done a lot of that with Smallville too, right? Yeah, That's yeah, a yeah, yeah. absolutely.
3: Except the red in Smallville is the equivalent to the black hair. But
0: again, like John was saying, the use of the color is awesome because the colors are pretty much regular world and sterile up to the point where Superman comes to save Jimmy in the uh, the under, you know, from getting crushed in the Underverse. And from there on, we get uh, the psychedelic candy-coated colors of, you know, P-R-O-G-E-C-T, which I'm still not sure what it stands for.
1: Jimmy asked the question, and they didn't answer him.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, I've read all 12 issues, and I don't think they ever say what that stands for. I guess it's like S.H.I.E.L.D. It really doesn't matter all that much, but uh, I'm sure some, you know, comic book guy out there would want to know. And the really funny thing about this is the only change we see in Superman... After he's you know been infected with the black kryptonite or whatever is his word balloons change and uh, his yeah. eyes yeah. and his eyes start to glow and that's it.
1: As you can, you can actually see the gradual change because it's it it goes from white to gray to black. And what's interesting right? is Superman doesn't even think about it because it's been established earlier that he's immune to green kryptonite kryptonite now, and so he doesn't even think about exposure at this point. But clearly he's still affected by some kryptonite.
3: They put tar in it. Yes, they put tar they in it. He, there they, you go. They figured he wasn't going to smoke it. So,
0: the unknown know. quantity. I do like the sequence here, though. Is like, uh, Jimmy, I know what Black K does to me. It makes me bad. And you know what? Part of me is starting to like that idea.
3: I, it's funny that, you know, in the beginning, when they show his apartment, you know, when he when he shows up at his apartment, it has, like, all of the, you know, the old, you know, transformations of Jimmy Olsen kind of stuff laying around. The, the uh, you know, the Flamebird, you know, the Flamebird... Costume from from their flame, flamebird Nightwing. It's got you know pictures of him with Superman. It's got the Turtle Boy cost you know when he's in Turtle Boy costume. I thought I saw like an Elastic Lad somewhere um, laying around, but it's you know it's funny that this you know this in this issue is is about another transformation of Jimmy Olsen and and uh, you know and, and they they show all that stuff in, the, in his apartment.
2: I thought the little. Uh the moon with i love lucy on it was a nice little nod to you know i love lucy the tv show obviously in yep. the credits had that written in the moon and if if there's any television show that mirrors the silver age you know it's probably i love lucy yeah for with sure. just the goofy you know the goofy fun and the no uh no real threat no heavy
0: content just fun stuff yeah, imagine if the incontinuity of Superman, if uh, something had happened like that where they carved it on the moon, and then every issue after that, you know, why didn't you write it? You know, people would be writing in. Why didn't you put I Love Lucy on the moon and issue number for you? But in this, yeah. because it's so fun and just like, you know, kind of almost like a confection. It just, you know, it's just another thing.
3: And again, we get, you know, we get nods to multiple eras in, in Superman's history. I mean, obviously, you know, the big the big theme through the whole book is the Silver Age, but here we go. You know, it's a basement of this facility where, you know, we get do not open till doomsday. So the first thing you think of whenever you you hear doomsday nowadays is, you know, the doomsday creature. And it's funny that all of the, you know, the painting, you know, where it says do not open till doomsday, it's written like blood dripping, you know, the red dripping, the 41, which is either the room or the corridor or whatever. The paint there is even dripping. So, you know, it goes back to the whole, you know, when, you know, the whole doomsday thing with the whole S-shield dripping blood and everything else. But... I got, you know, I, there was no question in my mind when I saw that. It's like, okay, they're, they're going to find a way to incorporate Doomsday into, into the story, which I thought was really interesting. And it's a very, you know, 90s, you know, modern, you know, kind of, kind of thing going on, which is very anti-Silver Age 70s.
1: But it's a very Silver Age way of bringing them in there.
0: Absolutely. That was the point I was going to make. It's like, there, here we have 90s Doomsday, but in an in injectable serum that Superman himself created as an anti-Superman weapon, you know, which is very Silver Age, you know, frosting for that particular '90s Doomsday cake, as it were.
3: And if the Underverse isn't a isn't a Morrisonian type creation, I I don't know what is.
0: You're <laughs> here, here.
3: And then we get the you know the typical you know when when at the beginning of the issue, you know the typical Clark in, in Perry's office being lectured about something, and then Clark has to make up some reason to just quickly whisk away. I just thought thought that was hilarious, very... Reminding me a lot of the movies, you know, especially you know Superman, you know, the first one when when he he was in there talking to Perry, and uh, he had to kind of bail out.
0: I like how the Broadway guys are like, "Here are some VIP tickets for Frankenstein and Ice. You and Superman just saved us from that terrible monster." Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> Even till the end, uh, Jimmy is is concerned for his friend Superman. You know, he, he beats the crap out of Superman, and then he's like, "Don't let anybody see him like this." You hear me? I think he understands how important Superman is as a symbol. You know,
3: it's funny when they're, you know, when he first starts getting infected with the black kryptonite and and carves, I, mean, I guess with his finger, fingernail maybe with his heat vision, but he carves the S symbol into the table. Um, you know, and basically plays it off as, oh, it'll be, you know, a he's loaded, he can just buy another table, or b it's probably worth more now that I did this than it was before. Very, a very super again another very Superman three vibe, you know from that, you know where he's, you know sitting in the bar and you know hits his heat vision on the the mirror, you know when he straightens out the leaning tower of Pisa and all that kind of stuff, you know just just doing all this, you know crazy stuff and you know and and doesn't think twice about it.
0: That's another uh, Silver Age convention, like I said before, at the Red Kryptonite or whatever, is you know the the evil Superman. How are we going to stop him? Yeah. Anything else on issue for?
3: No, I like the way quietly drew Jimmy as Doomsday. Yeah, I think I think he, he kept, you know, tried to keep some of Jimmy under there with the whole red hair and, and stuff like that, but, but you know, drew it like Doomsday with a protruding, you know, skeletal system and, you know, bones and and stuff like that coming out of it.
0: It's almost like uh, Morrison's taking this super serious, grim and gritty 90s idea and just making it a goofy Silver Age thing as well, speaking of what we were talking about just a minute ago. Okay, uh, issue number five. Awesome cover of Lex Luthor defending Clark Kent from a bunch of thugs in prison. And uh, this one, we have uh, Lex standing for trial for his crimes against humanity, being taken off to a maximum security prison, and being allowed an interview by one Mr. Clark Kent. It just This one really, really spells out <clears throat> where the all-star Superman Lex Luthor is coming from. This is you know the gospel according to Lex in, in one uh, issue. He feels like he, he is humanity. he should be humanity's savior because he's a member of humanity, and not Superman, you know. Uh, the one the one panel here, it's easy to be strong when you just happen to have come from the planet Krypton. This muscle takes hard work. So we realize now, um, while you know, Clark is interviewing him all through the prison that he's set up another uh, um plan to escape and takes Clark Kent as hostage and chronicler of what's going on. And meanwhile, during the um, during the riot, Clark uses his powers in some surreptitious ways uh, without Lex finding out. Uh, you know his secret that he is actually. Spoiler alert: Superman. But we get to see a little. Uh, we also get to see the super monkey, uh, Leopold, or at least Lex's version of the super monkey, uh, which is kind of his per- uh, his little uh, joke uh, on uh, on Superman, and uh, he uses a. Uh, a robot that recites, uh, recite uh, that reads and recites um, as a sonic drill to burrow his way out, and he sends uh, Clark out with you know to to spread his gospel, pretty much. Go on, tell the world if it weren't for Superman, I'd be in charge of this whole planet, and that's how we end this issue.
3: This is probably my favorite issue of the whole. Uh, like I said, I read all twelve, and this is probably my favorite issue of all twelve that we really, really get inside Lex this issue and, and it and the whole, you know, Clark being Clark and not Superman, but yet trying to be Superman at the same time, um, was just really cool. And it just it just shows how Luthor in some ways is so right and in some ways is just is so wrong. You know, that that, that everything he thinks and believes, you know, that he's supposed to be you know decent one of the smartest if not the smartest people in the world um, and that you know the obvious that's in front of him somebody's able to explain it away with you know just simple um, you know very simply and he just he totally believes it and, and doesn't and doesn't um, you know clue in tom what's really going
0: on it's often said that heroes are defined by their villains and uh, morrison takes the time in this issue to really sharply define He's a version of Lex Luthor. And uh, you're absolutely right, Russ. You hit it right on the head. This is where we find out what really makes him tick, what his motivations are, and why he thinks he's in the right. I mean, uh, I think sometimes the most compelling villains are the ones, you know, like Magneto or Namor, who think that they're in the right, you know, but actually are doing wrong in the name of right. Yeah. I like the
2: use of the parasite. Yeah. Yeah, no,
3: absolutely.
2: I thought it was cool that he's. He's blowing up because he's absorbing, you know. I guess, Superman's power, right? Because Superman's in the vicinity, so he's mm-hmm. blowing up on the power.
1: Actually, when I so- read this the first time, I really thought that this was their cure for what Eric was killing Superman. They was going to bleed off all this extra power, and Superman would be back to the way he was before the sun. Of course, that's not what they did, but I was really expecting that, that, to, be, that to be what happened.
2: That's very clever. That's a pretty good idea, actually. Is anybody Somebody else? Somebody called Dan <laughs> yeah so you're writing
1: I stuff mean, again
3: again we get back to the old silver age but the fact that they're allowing lex to in prison you know basically work on his own experiments and have these crazy gadgets and weapons and and you know not even think twice about it, it's just is just absolutely hilarious you know here's a guy on death row and he's got you know he's building some sort of you know advanced robots and has all these crazy tools
0: and he's supposed to be the smartest uh, guy on the planet or whatever, much like Ozymandias or what have you, but you had Superman standing right next to him. He has no clue. Well, not, not
1: only that, I mean, at the end of the book, he had him, like, without glasses on, face-to-face, screaming at each other, and he didn't know who he was.
0: Right, and then you also had the parasite freaking out. I mean, all these different things that might have indicated to him, you know, that Clark Kent was actually Superman.
1: Well, I mean, you get scenes like when they're escaping out the one door and he turns and uses his freeze breath on on the... The inmates chasing them. His asthma. Yeah, his asthma. And but Lex is just on the other side of the door, can't see what's going on. So he's just like, come on, just keep up, you know. You you, you slow, you know, nerd. And everything he does uh, is always just out of sight of Luthor.
0: Again, very silver agey kind of thing. The whole surreptitious use of the power as Clark Kent, not being found out as Superman.
3: Yeah, and, and it starts out, you know, right off where you know, he walks into Lex's cell, sees him working on that device, sees the plug sparking. And then, you know, bumbles his way, you know, like we've seen him do earlier in, in the series where, you know, he's crossing the street and bumps into the guy because he knows that's going to save him from something falling on him, you know, and here, you know, he, he, he pulls on the plug to get, you know, basically so Lex doesn't end up electrocuting himself with his own device, which which I think is, is, is incre- you know, awesome irony there because Lex is on death row set to be electrocuted, you know, in, in the chair, and yet here... Clark saves him from being electrocuted.
0: It was a very Christopher Reeve type moment for me. Yeah. That was something I thought that Christopher Reeve really nailed in the first two Superman movies was, you know, using Clark's clumsiness as a you know an enduring quality, but also using it to surreptitiously use the superpowers.
2: You know, I, I commented during issue one that he was balancing it with keeping it you know, on, on somewhat of a serious tone with the Silver Age stuff, but it seems to have gotten progressively goofier now that we sit and, and look at each issue. Maybe maybe goofy isn't the right word, but he definitely went more on the lighthearted side of things than, you know, in that first issue, he refers to Lex getting ready to kill Superman for real this time, and it never really materializes, you know? it's kind of They kind of made Lex that gimmicky character as we get to this point.
3: And I love how... You know, Clark has taken his note. You know, his notes in in shorthand. And Lex looks at his notepad, and you know, he says, "I can I can mentally crack any code known to man in less than a minute," and he can't he can't follow shorthand because it's kind of you know at this point it's kind of an outmoded, you know, method of, of uh, taking notes. And then he he kind of chastises him for not using you know a, un, an electronic recorder, which you know obviously due to Superman's. Power's going crazy, which, you know, again, Lex set all that up. I mean, he set it up to where Superman would be super saturated, his cells would be super saturated, you know, he would be affecting things in a strange way, and yet, you know, he doesn't think twice about him not having a electronic handheld recorder to to, to take his, take down the interview with.
0: And the ultimate irony of this interview, like Ken alluded to earlier, was that Lex knows that he kill, he is killing Superman slowly, and the only two people that know Superman is dying are Lex... And Superman, until Lex tells Clark to go tell the world. We're also introduced to uh, Lex's uh, gothy niece, I guess, Nastasia. Yeah, who looks like a model for Hot Topic. And <laughs> we call her Nasty for short. Yes, we do. To issue six, which uh, is probably my favorite issue in the in the whole uh, miniseries. Um, I know you guys—we've already alluded to this earlier—but the subject matter of this issue, I, I mean. It's been dealt with uh, a few times in the past, but I don't think this well. It's just kind of a neat uh, way of of telling this particular story. In this issue, Superman has gone back to Smallville to visit. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you guys when you read this, do you think this took place before everything else?
1: That was what my thought was. It was like a, almost like in a past story, and the person who we find out is the uh, unknown Superman later on is our present-day Superman.
0: Right. Okay, and I was I was a little hesitant on that whether it was you know him like trying to get away from everything or whether uh, he was a past Superman and then the present one, but in this issue we see Superman in Smallville with crypto, uh throwing him a, a whole tree as a as a stick to go fetch, and just really enjoying his powers and, and his life, and s- some strange farmhands come to the Kent work on the Kent farm, one is. Uh, Normal looking guy, but with kind of a mohawk. One is a really short guy, uh, kind of a, a midgety type guy. And then another guy is entirely covered head to toe in bandages, so we can't see any of his facial features. It turns out that these three farmhands are Supermen from the future, or so they tell the Superman of our story. Um, there is a, Oh, I'm sorry. I was
1: just going to say, these are the same Supermen that we, or apparently the same Superman we saw. Back in issue two, that Lois was interacting with, and Clark was interacting with, with through that projector device.
0: You're
3: and, right. And this also brings back a concept from we I didn't mention it earlier, but you know Morrison wrote the whole DC One Million, and the Superman we see from what is it, the eight hundred and fifty from the year eight hundred fifty three thousand or whatever. Or the Cal Yeah, the Calcant. Kent. That's the the Superman from the Superman
0: you know, from the, from the DC 1 million. Right. Right. And there was also a thing I remember in DC 1 million about the, um, they mentioned that later on and they mentioned in this book, the, the intermarriage between the, uh, the fifth dimensional, uh, like the Mr. Mixel pick, uh, Mixel pit, like, sorry, um, style, um, fit or are they fifth dimensional characters, yes. um, yeah. you know, joining with the house of L And one of those is represented here. He kind of looks like Mr. Mr. Mitsubitlik in a Superman uh, outfit. And then the third Superman, uh, with the question mark for a seal, is uh, introduced as the unknown Superman of AD-4500. I'm
2: sorry. Back on the the Super Friends TV show or wherever I know this character from, they did used to call him Mitchell Plick, right? Yes. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. so it's it's been decided that it's really not spelt that way or whatever, and people pronounce it differently now? Because it drives me nuts every time I hear comic people talk about that character, and I'm like, I'm sure that when I knew him on TV, it was Mitzelplik. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, it, it was, was. It was
1: easier for, the, uh, for uh, Ted Knight to say Mitzelplik, I guess.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. To, be, to be honest, John, I never knew how to say it until the Superman animated series. And the Gilbert Gottfried version. Right. And they pronounce it in that Mixius Pitlick. And it's one of those words that you read for a long, long time, but you're never really sure how it's pronounced. Even, even in, in Smallville,
1: they made some fun when they introduced that type of character. They used that name, and he's like, Mixius Pitlick. It's not that hard.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Kind of like Thor's hammer. Yeah.
3: <laughs> owner.
0: Yeah. See, again, another word I read a lot. I, that's why I always thought it was Majolner. You know, because I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm dumb like that. Anyway, the future Supermen are there because a being called the Chronivore, which actually eats time, is loose in Kansas, and uh, we. And this is the first time we get the stand back, Clark. This is a job for the Superman Squad, and Clark keeps trying to help them, and they keep saying that. No. No, oh, no, we don't need your help. We can take care of it. But in Superman's arrogance, he feels that he must you know, join in and help, even though he doesn't know what the threat is, even though he doesn't know, you know what the consequences will be, which we find out later are that the three minutes the Coronavore eats are the three minutes in which Pa Kent dies. And uh, Superman is unable to save him. And we see Clark at the funeral of Pa Kent, and then later with the three supermen from the Superman squad, um, explain what actually was going on in which case, and we find out the superman of AD 4500 is actually our superman who just wanted to see his dad one more time.
3: This is a, a neat issue because it kind of, you know, kind of gave us a little bit of that background, um, as to, you know, what the, what the, you know, what state mom, pop Kent were in, you know, we, 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 we didn't get a full origin, which I, I don't think is necessary, you know, for this story. I mean, we all know the origin of Superman and, you know, you know, conceivably it's not really changed at all here. Um, so we get to see a little bit of life, you know, what life was like for Clark as he was growing up in, in Smallville and in, in an Adventure, that, that kind of happened. So it kind of harkens back to... Um, uh, you know, I, obviously this is after they're they're not kids anymore, but but there's a lot of you know talking about the past and how you know it's kind of a coming of age you know story where they've all kind of um, you could tell them you know they graduated high school maybe a year or two before, um, or I guess they're getting ready to gra- graduate college actually because Clark's getting ready to go off to Metropolis for his, his full time job. He's obviously been expo- you know exposed himself to the world to the world as uh, as a Superman. Um, so it's kind of interesting. I, I like how we get the the scene at the soda shop with uh, Clark, Pete, and Lana. Um, and it's it's uh, you know it's funny how um, you know Clark is sitting there and he uh, he he obviously you know has one of his Clark moments of oh I gotta leave because something's going on that needs my attention so I'm gonna make something up. And, and it's funny because in the in the pre-crisis, um, you know, Superman Pete Ross was the one, the only one that knew he was he was really Superman. And in the post-crisis um, Superman, it was Lana that that knew. Pete didn't know, but Lana did know. And so it's funny how at the at the end of the scene in the in the soda shop, um, you know, Lana looks at Pete and says, "Why do you both have to act like I don't know who he is?" And then, and then Pete says, "Don't talk. Don't make me talk about this, Lana." So, you know, we kind of get the best of both worlds here, where, you know, Pete was the one that knew, but Lana, or you know, because Clark obviously told him, but Lana's figured it out and she knows too. So again, we kind of get that whole, you know, um, you know, borrowing from both or paying homage to to both the pre and post crisis supermans
0: I think that um, this. The whole, like, stance that Morrison takes with this as far as borrowing from the entire history of Superman to make new stories, it really spins out of what James Robinson did on Starman and what Jeff Johns has been doing with uh, Green Lantern and about to be doing with Flash. For a long time, uh, the writers of comics were trying to, you know, get rid of that continuity of forget about it, start their own stories, you know, build from the ground up. Um, with, you know, fresh characters and everything. But now I think people realizing, and writers especially, that that rich history can be woven into a brand-new tapestry without, you know, having to throw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. You know, you can have a tell, tell a good story with all that past continuity if you pick and choose what you use. You know what I mean? Like I said, Starman is a good example of that. So is this.
2: Yeah, yeah and, you know, I, I think that they've taken morrison's cue um on this stuff because it, as ken mentioned earlier you know he said that oh it's a coincidence that he's seeing general lane in the in the current continuity well guess what we're also seeing superwoman uh, a superwoman which was used a little bit with the costume here by Marson. we're also seeing doomsday again in the new krypton storyline and we're also you know we just saw the death of pa Kent.
0: So... And, they mentioned, uh, and they mentioned New Krypton in the end of the mm-hmm. uh, this issue. He gives them an indestructible flower from New Krypton.
2: Right, and so it really believe... seems like... I'm sorry, go ahead, Jim.
0: I was just going to ask Russ, because uh, you're probably more familiar with the DC One Million event than I am. That's Superman at the very end of this issue, the golden one. Isn't that the same one from uh, DC One Million that lived inside the sun or something?
3: I don't know. To be honest with you, the One Million stretch was when I was... I kind of I kind of I, I floated in and out of Superman, um, like right around the turn of the the millennium. Um, so I didn't I I started to read it. Um, it's 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 some of that where I I I collected some of it when it came out and then didn't and then it was one of those. Well, I didn't want to read it until I had it all because it crossed over. Like that was like one month where all the books were you know one million. So I didn't I I've, I've never actually sat down and read the whole thing. I started to read it. Um, and then got sidetracked with other stuff, so I didn't I didn't actually read it kind of from from beginning to end.
0: That was right about the time I was getting right back uh, getting back into comics actually, and I, I seem to remember there was a Super- Superman that supposedly was Superman Prime that lived way in the future, that uh, lived inside the sun somehow, and I think that ties to what you're saying about Cal Kent. Uh, also being from DC 1 million. So we got Grant Morrison not only borrowing from classic continuity, but also from his own continuity that he created.
3: Yeah. And it, and, and it, and it's interesting, you know, how, you know, how you have, you know, John, you mentioned in Ken, you know, about the things that, you know, Johns and Robinson and, and those guys are borrowing in their, in their Superman stories. And then just in, in continuity in general, you know, love it or, you know, or hate it, you know, when Morrison did New X-Men, the same thing kind of happened with Whedon. You know, when Whedon came on and did, and did um, Astonishing, he pretty much took the stuff that Morrison had laid the groundwork on and, and ran with it, you know, in his book. So, you know, all that stuff just kind of wasn't, you know, like, like, like Jim said, wasn't thrown out, you know, you didn't throw out the baby with the bathwater, you know, Whedon kind of took it as well, you know, this is out here. It's, it's been done so take it you know let's take it and see what we can do with it so you know i, I again i think you know whether you like or dislike morrison i think um e- even even in the things that you dislike there's always stuff in there um that i think are good nuggets that can be taken out um and and something something really good done with it <coughs> cat beast <coughs> oh, well maybe not everything <laughs>
1: Go back into the issue. I'm just looking here at some of these pages, and uh, I guess it's like around page 16 or so. It's uh, during the while the whole battle's going on, you've got four panels or so here where it's it's Jonathan and talking with uh, who we think at the time is the unknown Superman. And to me, those four panels are the essence of this entire issue. The rest of the story is a very good story. It's about you know about a, about young Superman. But this is as we'll find out is our Superman that we've been reading about for the last six issues. This is why he's here to spend these last moments with his dad, and that is the essence of this entire issue for me right there, and it's probably my single favorite page from the whole book.
0: Yeah, it makes the oh. Go ahead, Russ. So I was
3: going to say it, it. You know, it makes the reveal at the end that much more powerful. You know, when you you know when you see that. That's who it is. It's like, oh, he he got his, you know, he got what he didn't get the first time. You know, he, he got, you know, that, that, that extra time with his dad.
1: Yeah, I mean, think about it. He's been trying trying to tie up all these loose ends in his life, knowing knowing or believing he's going to die. And this is just one of many more things he needs to do. And, he of course, he lists the help of his friends, the Superman squad, to make it happen.
0: It's almost like uh, Pac-Kent knows what's about to happen, too, especially in the yes. last panel. He's like, he'll be okay, won't he? Yep. The boy, and then uh, his, his, the boy he's referring to is answering him and saying everything'll work out, yep,
2: well, I guess after six issues, I should probably give Jamie Grant uh, credit for the coloring job in this book
0: yeah, definitely did, all digital did an amazing job, like you said, John earlier, I mean, the color is a real star in this book. sometimes colorists do their job when you can 't notice what they 're doing, but in this in this uh, case, it really really adds to the story in so many different ways.
3: The other thing interesting about this book, too, is this is almost getting to be the rare case nowadays where you've got the art team, you know, on the covers all the way through, you know, the actual issues themselves, um, which which we don't always see. You know, nowadays, a lot of times, they, you know, for covers especially, they go to these, you know, everything, you know, there's like, it seems like there's only like five guys that do covers nowadays, you um, you know, they do, especially at DC, and they do covers on everything, and so it's kind of refreshing to see that continuity, um, you know, with this book to where it's the same art team throughout. Especially, you know, with the, with the, the issues that DC's had, you know, lately as far as, you know, art teams and, and such.
0: Again, another good thing about this issue is you know, most of the other issues in this series have em- emphasized the super. You know, they're amazing, you know, they're super science and fantastic elements. This one really emphasizes more of the man, half of Superman, uh, where his grounding comes from, where his moral stance comes from, uh, where his hope and optimism for the future come f- comes from. It all, uh, it's all explained here, uh, his more human side
3: this is something, you know, just, just reading through this, you know, obviously this is just six issues that we're covering now, but all 12 are out. Yeah. You know, to me, this is something that would make interesting, you know, either maybe a two picture, you know, like a two movie Superman kind of story, or even like a mini series type, you know, deal, or even, you know, translated to some sort of, um, you know, animated hybrid or something. I think this would translate very well to, to that kind of format.
0: I agree. It takes the, the classic Superman that we all know and love and, uh, you know, borrows the best from, you know, the past and makes a, a new story. And I think that's really, if you look at, um, like, even Batman, the animated series, they went through and they took all the different parts of Batman that they liked and made their own version. And that's kind of what we're seeing here with the Superman and a lot of these uh, reimaginings of these classic characters. Again, I say Starman, JSA, um, i uh, it just and, and a lot of what Johns is doing again with you know Green Lantern and Flash, we're taking you know taking these iconic characters, finding out what makes them iconic to begin with, and and emphasizing that and taking picking and choosing you know from all of the continuity, not just you know the '90s grim and gritty or you know this version of this hero, this version of this hero. It's like uh, you know the condensed version of the hero with all the best parts. Interesting
2: um, thing about bringing up a movie for something like this, it's. Yeah, unf- I-, I won't say unfortunately because the movies have been getting better, but the m- the movies with superheroes seem to be going in the opposite direction of what Morrison has done with this book. In other words, you know we're looking at The Dark Knight, you know grittier, more realistic. Um, that seems to be what they're gravitating to with the superhero movies, and you know this book just seems to be going in the other direction with the Silver Age fun. You know, I don't know if they'd be able to sell a movie like this right now.
3: Probably not, or at least not until one does. You know, there's a movie out there that has this kind of. You know, somebody takes a chance on it, you know, and it does well, and then it'll be oh, now everything needs to be bright and cheery. And
1: now with something, yeah. like, it's sad because with something like the Dark Knight, that that's what the Dark Knight needs. You know, meanwhile you had another movie that was, you know, also a huge success, Iron Man, which. You know, yes, it was a it was a war movie, of sorts, but it was was not as dark as the Dark Knight was, but still a success. But yet, people still tuned in onto the Dark the Dark Knight, on that something like this is exactly what Superman needs. If if something like this, not I'm not saying this book, it's general, but this feeling, this tone, was what we got instead of what, what Superman Returns was. You know, it could
2: have been been great, but you're right, no one will take a chance on that, especially not with a Superman movie. Superman movies need to be gigantic blockbusters. It's not where they're going to take a chance with, you know, maybe a Green Lantern movie, they'd change the tone, see how that went, and then if it worked out, try it with Superman. Yeah. But I don't think he would be the experiment.
1: I'm looking forward to uh, Comic-Con this year. Some of the panels last year, um, during the one of the DC panels, maybe it was Grant's, Grant Morrison's panel, uh, they were asking about the animated features, you know, you know, Superman, Doomsday, Wonder Woman, all that. And he suggested that, He'd love to see All-Star Superman get that animated direct-to-DVD treatment, which would be great. It was like right right around New Frontier was about to come out. They are talking about that, or it had just come out. And uh, th- I would love to see this book uh, made into an animated feature. Uh, I, I, I'm afraid of what would get cut, though, because you couldn't do all of this, I can't imagine.
0: You'd have to do it
3: as two or three pieces.
0: Yeah, I agree about what you're saying about the superhero movies. But even Iron Man had like a, a, a element of plausibility, you know. Um, it's possible that Tony Stark could have, you know, built this armor and things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, with Superman, just by his nature and his powers, I think, I agree, you have to go over the top. You have to be more fantastical or, you know, an intergalactic type thing or whatever just to give him a threat that he's worthy of, you know what I mean? And I mean, no most, and no
1: movie has been able to do that. That's that's the unfortunate right. part. The only time they tried to get him a someone of his equal, you know, they messed that up with nuclear man.
0: Well, yeah. I I'd direct you to Zod and yes. Uh, Well yes. I mean Superman two that was actually and cool. Ursa and, yes. and non. I mean they were his equals, yeah, on a power power level in Superman two. But I think because of the nature of the character, you, can't, you don't want to do a grim and gritty Superman. You don't want to do a realistic Superman because that takes away, I think, from the, you know, the magic of the character. And I think now with, you know, Jeff Johns writing action and, uh, and Morrison writing uh, these kind of things, people are starting to realize that, hey, you know, it's not that Superman is too powerful. It's just that the threats and everything that we're giving them are, are on too low of a level. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
1: You can only fight a real estate scam so many times.
0: Whereas that approach with Batman, we end up with Adam Western and award. Ward. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I, I totally agree that some characters, I mean, you know, I want to see a plausible Batman movie, you know, or I'd want to see a, a plausible Daredevil movie better than the Ben Affleck version, or or what have you. But you know, with Superman, you definitely have to go the opposite direction.
3: So how long do you think before this thing will get absolute treatment? Do you think DC will do an absolute all star?
2: Twelve issues enough? I guess it is. It's yeah. absolute watchmen. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: sure. Yeah, most of them are twelve. Hush is twelve.
1: So new frontier's less, isn't it?
3: Yeah, new frontier's six, but they were all double sized issues. Right. So basically twelve. Yeah, and four. Kingdom Come was four, but those were those prestige formats, so they were like sixty-four pages or whatever. But um, but I, I think you know the big thing with with absolutes is typically a series all by the same artist, you know, the, the same team. You know, they. they I guess, I don't know if they've come out. Have both hardcover volumes come out of, of this one?
1: I think volume two is, if not yet, it's very soon. I think it was already solici- solicited.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, so you've got two, you know, six-issue hardcover volumes, but nothing, you know, no, you know, full hardcover or 12-issue trade or anything like that solicited to my knowledge. So I, I, th- I think it'd be, I, if this were to come out in absolute, I would definitely get it. Um, and, and like I said, to me, that says a lot because I haven't been, like I said, I haven't been the biggest Morrison or Quietly fan, but I think what really sets off Quietly's art in this is the coloring. Like John said, the coloring is just is phenomenal. I mean, it, it this ranks up with, you know, some of the coloring that we've seen. Like, like to me, a you know, um, more Hallowell coloring like on, you know, Civil War and on Old Man Logan just really, really stands out as, as you know, is just brilliant, you know, color work. And, and to me, this is this is
0: definitely
2: up to par. All right, guys.
0: I think that wraps up uh, All-Star Superman Volume 1. Uh, yeah. Thank you for joining us on the Legion of Dudes. We appreciate your listenership. If you have any comments to us, please send it to us at comments at com, Or you can join us on the greatest gathering of Internet intellects, when it comes to comics anyway, in the universe thecomicsforums.com. I would like to shout out to Brad and Frank of Half Hour Wasted. Thank you so much for letting us play in your playground. We also want to mention Legion of Dudes will be at New York Comic-Con in a few weeks. Uh, Johnny M. and Ken and myself will be uh, pimping the LOD in the NYC. So uh, come on down and check us out. We'll be the big guys in the big Legion of Dudes t-shirts and podcast alley and wandering around elsewhere. Also join us next week for Watchmen issue number 12, part one with our special guest, Paul French, our friend north of the border is going to be contributing some uh, of his insights to uh, the final issue of Watchmen. Can you believe we've finally made the last issue guys? Amazing. Oh my God. All yeah, this it time. It's been a, been <laughs> Please a long, listen strange We're done with Watchmen. <laughs> yeah. All right. We we Let's have other things to do. <laughs> We have other comics. Screw <laughs> to it. Do. We'll just
2: do Watchmen all over again. <laughs>
0: Why not? Well, good night, everybody. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week with Watchmen's Chapter 12. Good night. Good night. Take care. Bye, thank you. Peace.